Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. As I was preparing this the last, two, you know, for for the last two weeks, which is really like one long sermon cut in half, you know, for two, it covers two weeks. But it um, there's a story that kept coming up for me, and I, and I get amazed, and I, and I and I want to encourage people with this story. I get amazed by the Bible when I um, dig into something, when I dig into a study. I'm amazed. It reminds me of this story when I was a teenager, and and I, I got I just it just kept coming up. My dad, so we were, we lived in Michigan City, and you guys remember Michigan City, but there's a, a, you know, the beach is there, and so we were frequent beachers, and my dad, my dad's brother had a house on the lake, and he had a little ski boat, and my dad was kind of the caretaker of the house. My, my brother, my, my uncle was a Chicago guy. My dad caretook for this house, and we had access to this boat frequently, so he'd come home from work. Sometimes we'd go out in the evening or whatever, and we'd do this thing I take a friend and a cousin out or something, and we do this thing where my dad would just take us in Lake Michigan straight out, like just just go until so like you can barely see land. And now you, I mean, I'm scared of like water you can't see the bottom of. Um, but we'd go out there and we play this game called Guess How Deep the Water Is. And this this guy was he was mythological at that point in my life. He would just just dive in and go down into the water, and he would go down and he'd guess. He'd come back up with, with some sand, like a little bit of sand. And he'd go, oh, it's like 25 feet, 30 feet. Or, or he'd come back up and go, man, my ears were popping, man, that hurt. I couldn't go any farther. And, and, and I'm sitting there, and my, my cousins would try. My friend, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing it. I was scared. But as I, as I went into this sort of, into this study, I, I was, I was, that story kept coming to mind. Because what I was doing was like getting to the bottom of like Lake Michigan and there's all this sand and I'm trying to grab a handful and swim back up with it. And like it's coming out of my hand and I'm dropping it. And it's like, so this, this right here contains like, it's like here's it all I got to prove that I was even there. This is, this is, there's so much in this psalm that I was, I was blown away by. Such a familiar psalm. Um, that we, I could find so much in this. And so I just want to encourage people to look at the Bible that way. It's just endless. And I wish I could tell everything. And the reason why I have to look at my notes is because I will go on so many tangents because there's so many things there that I'm like, oh, wow. You know? So as I said last week, this psalm is really a poem about the gospel. It's a poetic expression of the truth of the Christian life. And, G- and Jesus is the shepherd of those who believe that he died on the cross and then he rose um, and now sits in glory. Um, we presented the idea that Psalm 23 hinges on the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The statement that the Lord is my shepherd is a response to the grace of God, to the gospel, and what Jesus has done for us. So we might also sum it up by saying that when we believe the Lord is my shepherd, we're reminded of our position. Because when we're in Christ, we're saved. And it's from this position that we live out or walk out the rest of our lives. And when we live from this position in response to his grace, with constant surrender, obedience, and growing intimacy with him, we're offered a state of being which is embodied in the statement, I shall not want, a statement expressing freedom in Christ from the power of sin in our lives and the freedom to walk in the spirit and follow Christ the good shepherd. 
As I ended last week, I stated that it was from this position that we're able to walk out the rest of the psalm. So we stuck on verse one last week, and now we're gonna look at verse two through four, or two through six. Paul urges us in Ephesians 4 to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. The implication behind this word walk implies we proceed forward, we continue on. When we sign up for this messy race, I'm going to carry messy race through this, Kalina, for you. Uh, we, we sign up to surrender and obey and to know Jesus in an ever-deepening relationship. We signed up for discipleship. Becoming Christ-like involves walking the path that Jesus walked and going through the process of working out our salvation in fear and trembling. This requires obedience. And, and, and I, the thought came to me, why is obedience so hard? And, and, and think about it this way. It's not that God asks us to do hard things. Now, we, you, you can say, oh, this is really hard to do. But what's really hard is to surrender. He does all the work. When you do finally surrender, whether you're brought to your knees by some force or you choose to surrender, you find that to be true, that, that he just kind of comes up. Oswald Chambers said, what is my vision of God's purpose for me? Whatever it may be, his purpose is for me to depend on him and on his power now. If I stay calm, faithful, and unconfused while in the midst of the turmoil of life, the goal of the purpose of God is being accomplished in me. God is not working toward a particular finish. His purpose is the process itself, and it's the process, not the outcome, that is glorifying to God. So today, I want to discuss the rest of the psalm, as I said, and expresses this process I want us to remember the truth that is Christ who glorifies God and it's the life of Christ being worked out inside of us and expressing itself that allows us to be a part of this. So in keeping with our theme of the letter P, we're gonna follow position. Today's episode of Sesame Street is brought to you by the letter P. We're gonna look at this in three sections. Section um, one is provision, then path, and then purpose. So verse two. Do we have a thank you? Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Have you ever gone on a road trip with somebody who's really well prepared? Are you that person who packs like bags and food and, and, and coolers? Now, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Ethan can attest to that. I'm gonna stop at a gas station. I'm gonna waste a lot of money. It's just fun. Like my shopping, I like to shop at the gas station. The two for five monsters is like my thing. Um, I waste a lot of money, but again, my, my dad's coming up for some reason today, but my dad was this guy who could pack a cooler. He'd pack a cooler for everything, everything. This guy would pack a, a six-pack of Diet Coke and some O'Doul's to go across town to a Little League game. I mean, that's, that's what he did. He was always prepared, prepared for any journey we went on, any road trip, camping, whatever. He had everything. You didn't have to think of anything. And you're glad he thought of it because it was there for you when you needed it, when you're on the road and you're just mowing down on junk. As we look at our lives in Christ and touch base with the truth that we're on a journey, like any good journey, we have to account for our provisions along the way. In verse two, he, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He quenches my soul. If we just read that in our own understandings, we might be led to think about what we want it to mean. We get this image of some beautiful green hills in Scotland. You almost can't help it. Think of your green pastures for a minute. What does your fantasy like, like life look like? What would you need in order to not stress, to rest? Our minds are so caught up in the rational material world because we're sheep. 
As I said last week, we get very attached to things and people and work to make sure that our circumstances are operating in our favor and under our control. And a lot of effort goes into that, don't we? But look at David's idea of green pastures. This is Scotland over here, and this is the Palestinian green pastures. Now, some of you guys may have seen this before, but that's, that's not exactly what comes to mind here. There's way, way more to this. There's paths with little patches of spare, spare, sparse grass, and the sheep essentially get enough for the day, and they have to keep moving. Because if they don't, they'll eat everything up. They'll ravage the land. Sheep are like destructive. They will eat everything in its place and then they'll just like scatter because there's nothing there. They need to follow the shepherd. They need to tune into the shepherd and they need to keep moving. There's a theme in that. They're more afraid to not follow the shepherd than they are to let go of the patches of food that are right in front of them. The sheep problem that we have is caused by our sinful nature that our internal security system is attached to these external things. So naturally, we value some predictable provisions, don't we? Like a steady paycheck, stable relationships, the ability to achieve goals. God knows that we need these things to exist in this world, but the problem isn't wanting or having them. The problem is our tendency to depend on them and at the expense of our spiritual life. Watchman Nee said, we start looking for Jesus to provide things like finances, patience, healing, but that's not how it works. We need more of him. Everything flows from him. The enemy's use, the enemy uses the blessings of God and in relationship to our fallen security system to keep us focused on blessings, but not God himself. So what becomes more important is keeping our eye on the shepherd, not relishing in the provision of the moment. If he doesn't keep us moving, we will quickly allow the provision to become our comfort. And when we aren't being provided for in the way we expect, we scamper to figure out how to get it done under our own power. Last week I mentioned that Jesus needs to pry our hands loose from things that provide a false sense of security so that he can give us more grace, more of him. Now, let's, take a, let's look at a story that kind of tells us how God does this for each of us. Exodus 17, this is the water from the rock story that maybe you're familiar with. But let me read. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. Keep that in mind. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? We read that and we think, this is awesome. God brought water from the rock. Like, that's such a cool story. He can do that. And, 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 that, and it is, it's cool. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. But this is actually a story that is indicting the people of Israel because they grumbled against God. This isn't a positive story. These people had just crossed the Red Sea and had seen God deliver them from Egypt. By the way, like a month and a half before this, this is, this is what's crazy, right? And he commands them to go to a place with no water. Why would God do that? That's not very well thought out. God, what is that about? He doesn't seem to even pack a cooler. When we step out in faith, it will draw us away from comfort and give us the opportunity to rely on Jesus. The opportunity to rely on Jesus so we can find out what it means that he is our provision. But if at the first sign of discomfort, we grumble instead of trusting him, 
We may be missing out on a greater revelation of God because we aren't looking for him, we're looking for the things of him. Colossians 2.9 says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. God is trying to call our attention to deeper issues. What are we attached to? What are we dependent on? And I don't just mean external things here. I'm talking about our way of thinking and our emotional systems, the places we draw security from, the things we tell ourselves. Because below our need for food, water, shelter, and human relationships is our need for grace, our need for constant contact with the shepherd. Eugene Peterson, author of The Message, said this, the outer world is only an extension of an inner spiritual world. Psychologists who observe us talk of an elaborate security system and the defense mechanisms that we use to protect ourselves. People of faith have the same needs for protection and security as anyone else. But our security system is a trap, and the devil is in the details. Jesus has to break that down. Consider, if you will, the rich man in Mark chapter 10. Perfectly good and religious believer, keeper of the law. We read in verse 21 to 22 that Jesus cuts right to the heart. He looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now it's easy to read this passage and see that the man's security was in his money. But when we look at the entire passage, we see see a person who was proud of his law keeping. Remember that in that culture, if you were blessed, it was because you you, you earned it somehow. And if you were suffering from something, it was because you had sinned and you needed to figure out what your sin was. The security of this man's soul was in his his own work ethic and his wealth. Letting go of that wealth would not have singularly solved his problem. It was, it was, go get rid of everything and follow me. His core insecurity would have been exposed by letting that go. And Jesus would have been there to provide the grace he really needed. God is inviting us to a place with no water to learn dependence on him. We're being called to transfer our worship and our attention and sense of security like the rich man from the things that affirm us to Jesus and his process. So God will provide, but he wants to do it in a way that glorifies him so there's no mistake. So it's not you or me. He wants to deal with the sin inside of us, reflected in the way we think, the way we react, And most importantly, he wants to place our natural dependency, that security system, back home in him. He's our provision. Now, maybe maybe you're living in a desolate desolate place right now, afraid to move, move on, but realizing that you are spiritually malnourished, worn out by life, unable to rest, to lie down in the green pastures of Jesus. When Jesus is our provision, provision, we can take courage and walk out what God has already put inside of us and move in a purpose and towards a purpose. Now, every journey follows a path following our, th- our theme of P and verses three or four provides us with that path. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to go on the path of righteousness. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do the right thing. I want to be a good person. It sounds like a great idea. 
The idea of following Jesus sounds great until you tell me that I have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Until you confront me with this reality that this path of righteousness, the path towards holiness and being made in his image goes through the valley of the shadow of death. It sounds crazy, it sounds scary, and it sounds like it might hurt a little bit. We might ask ourselves, is there another way around this? Is there another way to peace and joy and blessings? Well, let's ask Jesus. I'm gonna give it to you how it came out in my head, okay? It's a little quirky, but follow me here. Let's ask Jesus, I said to myself. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, 25, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Take up our cross? Sounds challenging. I don't know what that means, but okay. Then whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Hmm, well, what exactly do you mean by losing my life? Jesus, tell me more about this. Well, my friend, let me tell you, Philippians 1.29, for it's been granted to you for the sake of me that you should not only believe in me, but also suffer for my sake. So for your name's sake, I have to carry my cross, lose my life, and suffer? Yes, because 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called, because I suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in my footsteps. And this is the voice he actually said it in, by the way. Very encouraging. <laughs> now, I personally, I've never met a person, myself included, whose natural inclination is to not avoid suffering. If we're being honest... Well, I've met some people with mental illnesses that like to suffer, but in, in reality, if, if we're being honest, we're being honest, we have to admit that we have a tendency to actually live as if it's possible to achieve a plateau of no suffering, as if somehow we can work hard enough, we're gonna figure it out, we're gonna arrive at this plateau. Now, this viewpoint is very well supported by our culture. There's ample opportunities to leave your job, find another one, leave your spouse, move to a new city, find a different church. There's plenty of people out there preaching prosperity. You deserve, you deserve. It's pretty easy to run from things that make us uncomfortable, and the things we can't run from, we surely can find an entertaining outlet to veg with. But this is why we don't find rest. It's exhausting to run from reality. And suffering is a reality of life. Toby said it when he, when he came up here a little bit ago. Reality always comes knocking, and what we inevitably find in our attempts to avoid suffering is that our souls suffer. Suffering finds us, and our avoidance ends up bringing not only more suffering on ourselves, but also in the world and on those around us. We hit a rough patch, and we think, well, this can't be from God. We turn to Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the, for I know the plans, you know, and it's like, yes. That, that, that makes me feel good. We use verses like this and then we, to deny the reality of suffering, to deny ourselves the opportunity that God is offering us to become more like Jesus so we avoid redemptive suffering that carries with it joy in exchange for suffering spiritual exhaustion. So one of the many things that David is calling our awareness to and the one I want us to focus on is our denial of, and the naturally occurring drive to avoid suffering. These verses about the path and the valley are calling our attention to a different interpretation of reality. We're being called to put suffering in its proper place and to see our circumstances through God's eyes in light of the gospel. And God's purpose, which is to redeem his lost people, to bring them to glory in his son Jesus. So the Christian life is the call to glory through the path of suffering. John MacArthur said this, the path to glory for Christ leads through unjust suffering. The path to glory for us leads through unjust suffering. Now, there's all kinds of suffering. 
But I want to emphasize and bring to our awareness the suffering that we might be avoiding. We get an itch. Maybe, let's say, a spark of divine in your life. Something isn't right here. I feel this over here. I think this might be possible over here. God speaks and directs us, but we talk ourselves out of trusting Jesus because we can't rationalize it. We can't see the next step in front of us, so we don't move. But what we're avoiding is a greater revelation of Jesus in our lives, the power of God and his blessings. Well, why do we do this? Well, David lays that out for us as well. We have a natural tendency to, dis to avoid discomfort because of this emotional threat of fear. Fear. Suffering is the last thing we want to do because it evokes fear, and fear is the antithesis of faith. David is forewarning us here so we can be prepared for the necessity of suffering in faith, which is defined, as you know, by Hebrews 11, as confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, so we fix our eyes on what is seen, or on, on what is, not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We're creatures of habit who desire a level of familiarity and predictability. In the spirit of forewarning us, David is calling our attention to the fact that we are indeed being led to a place of deep unknowing, deep powerlessness. And anytime we can't predict or rely on our five senses, we're thrown into a state of fear and panic. Fear is a function of the flesh. And the flesh, which to certain degrees demands our attention through the use of fear, draws our attention away from Jesus, whose eyes are, we're supposed to be fixed on. If we don't tend to the flesh, then it will die. But then we're going to feel like we're going to die. Well, guess what? That's kind of the point of this valley, right? Is the death, that's the point of us carrying our cross. We have to put our flesh up there. We have to put it up there and it's gonna suffer and it's gonna cry and it's gonna scream and it's gonna be asked to get, get brought down. Do we have any former smokers up there? Out there who have put, put it up there and taken it down several times? We have to put it up there and let it die. Paul said in Romans 13, 14, we're to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh. Now, be warned because part of the deception of the flesh is in relationship to our avoidance of fear and the unknown is that it will allow us to do good deeds. It'll allow us to act like the rich man. In other words, we can ethically and morally be like Jesus without any of it going towards his namesake but rather serving our namesake, sort of preserving our public persona. Essentially, we do good things and act like good Christians in order to convince ourselves that we're okay when in fact, we're living in avoidance of the reality that all we're doing is self-preserving. We need to realize that being like Jesus is more than acting like him. So David warns us about this confrontation with fear and its relationship to the, to the flesh. And as Christians, we don't fear evil because the Lord is with us. We regard fear as nothing more than a guidepost telling us that we're walking in the right direction. And suddenly, the reality of the presence of Jesus and the provision of Jesus becomes my secure reality. You know, oh death, where is your sting? Oh fear, where is your power? The mighty king of kings has disarmed you. Now, I'm speaking heavily about our avoidance of suffering. But there are people in this church right now who are faithfully seeking to do God's will, who have had unfortunate situations and hurt 
illnesses thrust on them, things they, they couldn't avoid. Now, if this is you, I want to encourage you with the word rejoice. Rejoice. We praised before our breakthrough earlier. Rejoice in as much as you are participating in the suffering of Christ. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. The Lord is near. Pray, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have this wonderful assurance because we know the Lord is present regardless of what we feel or what we go through. And we're encouraged because the presence of the Lord shouts of the reminder that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over everything. He's working all things out for our good. Not only that, but we rely on such truths like Psalm 26, for I've always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance of your faithfulness. Are you mindful of how much Jesus loves you? Are you mindful that he's the one carrying this out in his power? That he's faithful. And our job isn't to try harder, but to trust more. That God never commands anything of us or puts us through anything that he isn't willing to prove himself worthy in. The presence of the Lord is our comfort no matter what the suffering we go through. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. His authority and his word in relationship to the Holy Spirit are real evidence that we can experience the blessings of suffering and get the assurance of our salvation and the glory of God in our lives. Which brings us to our next verses, our next set of verses, the next P, which is purpose. Why are we going through this process? Verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we said, the Christian life is directional. It's a path. It's a journey that works out the salvation that's been placed inside of us. We have the assurance of the provision of Jesus. We have the understanding of the path that leads to the valley of the shadow of death, and so now we move into purpose. What is the purpose? What's the point of being put through trials and getting more of Christ? Now, of course, there's heaven we're being prepared for, but this purpose is also for right now. And so once again, we look to the gospel to explain this. All that we're going through is for the gospel. It's the heart of it all. Jesus didn't die so we could have things. He died because the Father wanted to reunite us sinners back to him. And so through suffering, we experience more of Jesus and the outpouring of him in our lives. Ephesians 2.6 says that we've been set apart. We've been saved by grace and set apart in Christ Jesus. But then verse 10 says, we are God's handy. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. God is redeeming us as part of his gospel and for his gospel. So when David speaks of this table in the presence of our enemies, he's talking about what Jesus is referring to in John 15 when he talks about the world hating us. Because we're not its own. He's talking about the proper Christian life, being in the world but not of the world, set apart, producing good works in spite of suffering. That's why we have to suffer gracefully. Everyone in the world is going to suffer, but the Christian suffers, but when the Christian suffers, they magnify the presence of Jesus. And as we do good works and glorify God in our struggles... Are we allowing Jesus to break down our flesh and our egos? Are we being filled with him for the sake of the gospel? This is what David means by saying, my cup overflows and my head is anointed with oil. We have been anointed or purposed for God to let our lives overflow with the presence of Jesus so that our fellowship may be strengthened and those who are lost may be called and drawn to him. So that our light may shine before others, that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. It's not just for us. We're part of this body. 
So let's be encouraged to walk through the valley with the confidence and security of the presence of Jesus. Let us remember that we're following a path that he first walked. And we're being made into his likeness, becoming so full of Jesus that we can say it, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live through faith in the Son of God who, gave his, who loved me and gave his life for me. He's our shepherd. We are his sheep in all this. We are assured that his goodness and mercy are following us all the days of our lives. The favor of God is bestowed upon us. We can be sure that what we're going through, if we're mindful of the Lord, then it's working out for our good and his glory, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this house that we dwell in is the presence of Jesus, not just in heaven, but right now. So let's be encouraged by that truth that right now we are privileged members of the house of the Lord. We're untouchable by the world and evil. So let me bring this discussion to a close. First, please read Psalm 23. Digest it in prayer and meditation. Find the assurance and comfort in it that God intends for us who he chose as disciples. It's a psalm that is expressing the life of the gospel. It is the life of a disciple of Jesus, beautifully, beautifully and accurately marked out in Hebrew poetry. From verse one, where we accept our invitation to follow Christ, we are put in position to follow him. He lets us know that we will have our provision and all that we need on this journey. And as I said earlier, the Christian life is directional. God lays out the path. He forewarns us of trials and struggles on that path. And he points us towards and gives us pur purpose, both now and in heaven. Now, if, if you've been called to this invitation, then you know it. You know it. We serve a patient God. He wants to get us on the path that, as Hebrew 12 says, has, has been marked out for us. A path that no matter the circumstances, we're assured of his peace and joy. A joy that Jesus endured the cross for. Maybe you live next door to Jesus right now. You haven't taken that, that, made the decision to move in with him. to Sell your house and move in with Jesus. But... Maybe there's a fear and a willingness to give up personal control or autonomy. If that's something you're struggling with, then Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And for those who are encountering that dark valley right now, be encouraged and take some time to consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Can I pray? Lord, at, at this moment, I submit to you. Help us, help us to know what we're asking for when we ask for more of you. Let us be encouraged by knowing who you are and the great love that you have for us so that we can move in the direction you're calling us to move. You've taken the punishment and the condemnation that should be ours. You've freely given us a new life simply because of who you are. Our flesh is attached to a perishing world. Give us the strength to not give provision to it. Let our suffering be for your good and the good of the gospel so that people may see your glory and your lost sheep can find their way home. Lord, I thank you for this local church body and the, and the disciples among us, Lord, who are bringing your presence everywhere they go. Let us be encouraged and strengthened in this fellowship of the Holy Spirit as we go forward this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.